Well, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along tonight, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 20. And uh, I read this passage. Some of you all know where we're going already. But I read this story last week. It was part of my Bible in a year reading plan, and it was on day whatever I was on. And I read it Tuesday morning. I was actually listening to it, audio Bible, the anglicized version which is an English guy reading the Bible, which I think sounds more holy, doesn't get on my nerves as much as the American guy. So that's what I listened to. And I was listening to that, and I listened to him read chapter 20 here in Second Chronicles, and the Lord said, when you get to your office, read that again. And I was like, okay. And so I read it, and I came to verse 17. I felt like the Lord said, that's your verse for today. And I said, all right. And then... Later that week, maybe a day or two later, you know, I'm always, as I'm in a week, thinking about that message, but then I'm thinking, what's next week, you know? And, of course, we've been in a spiritual warfare series. I'm thinking, are we doing the next one next week, or what are we doing? And I felt like the Lord said, you're having a praise party next week, and then you're going to speak briefly on 2 Chronicles 20, and that's that. So I said, okay. So... We planned a few more songs than we might normally do tonight, and uh, we're going to continue to worship here in a minute. Um, but I want to want to walk through this story, and I feel like I'm going to set up the story before we walk through it. Um, you guys might want to sit down because this is probably going to be a minute. You're, are, are you standing for the word of God? Is that okay? Well, bless you. That is awesome. Bless you guys. It's going to be a minute before we get there. So I don't want you standing for like 10 minutes or something. Um, so to kind of set this up, first of all, I'm doing this because I just, the Lord just dropped it. Say Chronicles 20 praise party next week. I'm like, okay. Um, This happens often to me. I don't know if it happens. Like, the Lord will speak to me. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then part of me will be like, I'm not sure I even want to do that, you know? And then as I start going for it and I start leading into it, then I start feel like I start getting all the reasons why he wants me to do it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. All right, we'll do it. And uh, so he's gracious in that way. But um, really, the Lord fully, fully showed me why we're doing this tonight as I, as I, prayed into it this week, uh, Second Chronicles, and walked through the story again to kind of preach the story. Because how many of you know, when I, when I read the Bible for me, I'm, le- I'm just letting the story preach to me, right? And it does, right? But then when I go to prepare to preach to you on a, what I feel like the Lord is saying, you know, sometimes it's just a different perspective because um, he might be saying something different to me than what he wants me to say to you. And so I was kind of reading it from that perspective this week, um, the Lord, all this stuff started coming out. I was like, whoa. And, uh, and I, this is why. And I just want to set this up. So, you know, if, you've, if you're new with our church tonight, um, we've been on a journey. And uh, especially the last year, a journey with growing in the Holy Spirit. A journey of what I would call, man, just going after the fullness of God and, and doing what God wants no matter what, especially in our church leadership, and refusing to compromise, okay? So that's the journey we've been on, and, and 
you know, that's really the journey right there. Hearing his voice, doing what he wants, refusing to compromise. And part of that for our church has been, uh, you know, going after the fullness of God, meaning not just the word of God, uh, but experiencing the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the fullness of that. Uh, and learning how to bring the kingdom on, on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the journey we've been on. Um, that's, that's a shift for our church, or it has been. We changed our name a little over a year ago to, from Residence to Free People. Um, and that, there's a big story behind that. And, and that has to do with that shift and, and the transition God has had us in. And so with that, um, part of this journey, the Lord has prophetically let us know at different times through different people. He's spoken to me. He's spoken to some of our staff, some of our leaders, some of you. Up different ways, right? Through words, through scripture, through dreams, visions, impressions, all the things. Um, and I'm going to summarize a whole lot. But he basically was letting us know like this journey isn't necessarily going to be easy. Um, not everyone's going to go with you on the journey. Uh, it's gonna, there's gonna be a season of sifting. There's gonna be where he's sifting all of us, really. He's, he's, uh, refining might be a a good word too, to use there. And people, the thoughts of many hearts will be laid bare. Jesus is a sign that is spoken against and the thoughts of many hearts will be laid bare. And so, People's hearts being revealed and the Lord leading people certain ways based on decisions. Do they want to go on this journey with us or not? And then if so, him leading them in certain things. And then if not, him honestly just leading them to not be a part of our church anymore. And so with that, the practical way that that's looked, we've known that. I'm trying to think maybe last summer the Lord started warning us, um, giving warning words that um, what that might look like practically is some people are going to leave, and because some people are going to leave, um, your giving is going to go down. You know, these are things that church leaders have to think about. And the Lord was so gracious to give us a heads up on that. Um, very gracious. In fact, yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm wrestling with, like, am I saying too much to, uh, just for the sake of time tonight? Um, but I want you guys to understand the context. So, anyways, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit warned the Apostle Paul about going to Jerusalem. But that wasn't to get him to not go to Jerusalem. It was because prison and hardships are facing you, and that's part of God's plan. And when you, when you get prisons and hardships for being obedient to God, when hard things happen to you in life, no matter what... Our natural inclination is to think, I messed up. What did I do wrong? I should, I should change something. And so there are times when there's rough road ahead, rough seas ahead, hardships coming, persecution coming. When the Lord, Holy Spirit, will give you warning words to prepare you so that when you go through it, you don't second guess your calling and what the Lord's calling you to do. You're just like, nope, this is part of the plan. Let's keep going, right? So you don't, you don't think that you messed up. No, I'm doing what the Lord wants, and that's why this is happening. And so the Lord was doing a whole lot of that, which is honestly pretty scary to go through, by the way. Um, but when you get in the hard parts, 
it's actually super comforting. <laughs> and you're like, no, he told me that. Okay, all right. And it's encouraging. And so we've had some of that. We've been coming through that. Um, and so this past year has been so uh, fruitful and so beautiful and so awesome in a lot of ways. And it's just been really hard in a lot of ways. Okay? So that's the context. Um, I'm trying to think when this was. Earlier this year, I'll say this spring. I think it was this spring, heading up to Easter maybe. I had a day with the Lord, and just a normal day for me, but it, he showed up in a massive way for me personally. And I ended up just spending the whole day with him. And it was one of those days when he is like he was in the room speaking to me all day. And I was in Psalm 24, seeking the Lord's face. He's given me a whole revelation about that. It was crazy. But the same day, he gave me this revelation about, um, he told me to go randomly, go read Nehemiah. So I started reading Nehemiah. I'm reading about the enemies of Nehemiah, which were Tobias and Sambalit. And he gave me this whole crazy revelation. I've never heard anybody talk about stuff like this. But he showed me that there's a new covenant application for this. But Tobias and Sambalit were literally like governors of other principalities. Um, and they were coming against Nehemiah. And the Holy Spirit was showing me um, you know how when people say, oh, there's a, there's a Judas spirit in the church, or oh, there's a, there's a Jezebel spirit in the church, or oh, there's a, that's the one everybody, like every other day, somebody, somebody's like, it's a Jezebel spirit, you know, because Jesus mentions it in Revelation. But anyways, he was showing me kind of like that, like this is a something the enemy, principalities, devil enemy does. It's a Tobias, I'll call it a Tobias and, and Sambalit spirit. It's when principalities partner to come against a man of God or a people of God, you could say a church, who are called to a great work of God. And I mean, he just dumped this on me. And I read most of Nehemiah that day, and I wrote out all this, what God, what, how they did this, and they used doubt, and they used discouragement, and they used a masquerading voice. They act like they're from the king and tell him to go hide in the temple. And, and he's like, I realized that the king didn't send them. He's like, in other words, this is not of God. It sounds good, but it's not of God. Should a man like me listen to the likes of you? And, and it was all fear-based. And he's like, no, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm not going to listen to you. you know. And he just totally resists. And so the wall gets built in 52 days. It's very successful. But it's very successful in a short amount of time because he wasn't giving in to the enemy's attacks. I ended up sharing this with our staff, and it was kind of like, heads up, <laughs> We have ticked the enemy off, our church as a whole. It was prophesied at our revival last year. One of our uh, guys here who's a well-known prophetic dude and very trustworthy, he's like, um, principalities are ticked off about our revival and about the journey our church is on, and there's going to be retaliation. And so our church, this journey has been, like I said, awesome but man, and ask the prophetic people in our church, there are many weeks where it's just like, what is going on at church? You know, and it's almost like a corporate atmosphere oppression. That's happening in our church. I've never been in a church where this is happening before or that's happened before. Um, and so it's it's really interesting. What, what I'm saying is there is a specific coordinated attack for, not just from demons. Demons are like lower level minions. I'm talking principalities, rulers over regions, okay? And the rulers over this region, 
don't like our church. I told you, I've told you a few times that I had a very vivid prophetic dream a couple years ago now, but two demons were in it, and they're like, we hate your church. And they were like telling me this, and I'm like, oh, tell me something I don't know, right? And so because we've refused to compromise, because we're going after the fullness of God, because we're, we're trying to be faithful in anything and everything, right? And we're really serious. And by the way, we have a awesome, powerful deliverance ministry. And by the way, we started doing a specific teaching on spiritual warfare and deliverance to expose the enemy's plans in people's lives. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Ask any pastor what happens when they preach specifically on spiritual warfare. And most pastors do one off and then they move on. They don't talk about it again for another year or two or five, right? Why? Because you get greater warfare because the enemy hates it, right? So we're doing like all the above. And he really hates us. But how many of you know that's a sign of a good thing, right? So he really hated Jesus too. Um, so that's the setup. So we're in this season of there is a coordinated spiritual attack. So, yeah. So I think we all need to be aware of our inner life and our thought life. Um, a lot of that just, man, I don't want to get too much into that of what it's going to feel like for you. But creating mistrust, creating doubt, creating discouragement in your own life about your own calling, but especially towards your church family, towards leadership, towards each other, starting to be suspicious. And here's the key, for no good reason. Okay? All right. So, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, was saying, I've said to a few people over the last few weeks, it's like, it blows me away the things that, you know, the negative things that some people have said or done you know, against our church, or, or as people are leaving, the things, the, the, the reasons they give for leaving, and, and some of the <laughs> horrific things people say about me or about our church, and I'm like, these things are happening, and there has not been, like, we've not done anything wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, churches who go through horrific moral failures of leaders and and misusing money and just all the horrible things that can happen. It's like, none of that is happening in our church. We, we've just only said we want to spend, we lengthened our services to spend more time with Jesus, right? We, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, these are the types of decisions we're making, and we get hated for it. And so I was like, okay, ooh, all right. So what I'm saying is, pay attention to your own inner life. Because corporate warfare is, is, comes against everyone. So that's kind of the setup. And in the Old Testament, you'll see Israel attacked for one of, uh, in major ways, as a nation. For, for two opposite reasons. Number one is they were in major sin. And therefore, it was major discipline from the Lord. Um, a great example of that is, and this happened a few other times too, but the biggest one was the captivity with Nebuchadnezzar. And God's instruction through the prophets was, don't fight Nebuchadnezzar. Don't fight. No, I'm sending him because you're so off course. This is my discipline. Here's your job. If that's the scenario, surrender. Surrender to the Lord's discipline. Repent and just, just let it happen. All right? 
The second main reason that they would be attacked as a nation is they were pursuing the Lord with everything, like total reckless abandon. They have a season of revival, and they're just going after God like never before, and then you'll see an enemy come and fight against them. In this case, in this scenario, these stories, this was not the Lord. This was literally the enemy, the enemy enemy, inciting enemy nations to come against the people of God because they're in revival, right? And so we see this in uh, Hezekiah was a revival leader. He cleaned out the temple. He's like, no more idolatry. We are going after the Lord God. And then you see Sennacherib uh, come against him, right? To like fight and, and, and threaten. And um, this, was not, this was not from God, right? Um, and so it, it, this was an attack of the enemy against the whole nation, against the whole, you could say, body of believers, right? Why? Because they were being more faithful, they were in revival, and they were going after the fullness of God. So God's word to them was not surrender. It was not, oh, we must have messed up. There's something wrong here. No, God's word to them was, it's time to fight. It's time to fight back, right? Well, a similar thing happened in Jehoshaphat and his generation. In fact, both both things happen. Oh, by the way, I did want to say this, and I've, I felt led to say this. So how do you discern which is which? Because this doesn't just happen against churches or against uh, nations. This can happen with you individually. When you experience hardships, how can you tell? Is it God disciplining me? Did I, did I mess up big time? Or, or is this the enemy and I need to resist it and I need to fight for this? I need to fight back, right? How can you tell? Well, Number one, if it's God's discipline, ask yourself these questions, okay? Do I have major moral sin in my life? Am I being complacent or compromising my calling in some way? Have I abandoned God's calling? Like, like Jonah, I'm just running away from it. Okay, think about those three questions. If the answer is yes, especially to all three of them, then if you're starting to experience hardship or things in your life, it could very well be God's discipline to wake you up, to correct you so you stop going down the wrong path. Does that make sense? So Jonah, massive storm. It's going to you know, sink the ship. They're, they're casting lots. They're figuring out why is this happening? It falls on Jonah and he goes, they're like, tell us what's going on. He's like, I'm running away from my God. He's like, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And they throw him overboard and the storm stops. It was God. That storm was God going, uh-uh, I'm not happy with you. You're, you're, you're abdicating your calling. And it was God's grace to send that storm. And Jonah's like, throw me overboard. I've messed, somebody needs to hear this tonight. I've messed up too much. This is God's discipline. Kill me, throw me overboard. And they do, and God's like, oh, no, no, no. You're not getting off the hook that easy. <laughs> Sends a fish to swallow him, pukes him up on the shore where he can now go to Nineveh and finally do what I've been calling you to do. All right? Do I have a tail? I do. Sorry. I'm going to need that later. Sorry. I drape it around my neck under my shirt, and then it sometimes looks like parts of my body, and it's not good. So, anyways, TMI. But if there's an elephant in the room, address it and move on. Okay. So, 
wrestling with my wardrobe up here. So, on the other hand, consider these questions. Have I recently experienced revival that caused me to increase my devotion to God? Have I worked hard to cut out all compromise and complacency to be fully obedient to God in every way? Am I walking in my calling and see God use me to help others for his glory? Now, here's the deal. If the answer to the first set of questions is all no, I'm not sinning, I'm not compromising, and the answer to that second set is all yes, and then a whole bunch of bad stuff starts happening in your life, how many of you know we're talking about second category now? This is not the Lord, but it is something. It is someone. It is the enemy who's coming against you because he really hates what you're doing, and you're affecting his power over you or over the region, over your family, whatever it is. And so, as I said, I, I really truly believe that our church is experiencing the second. And as I said, uh, if that's the case, then, the, then our job is not to surrender to what's happening. It's, it's to fight. It's to resist. Um. Now, if the enemy's smart, when the answer is the second version, that it's the enemy, not the Lord, remember, he's all about deception. So he's, he, if that's the case, he's going to attack, but he's going to try to get you to think it's the Lord because you've messed up and you're so bad somehow. That's what happened with Hezekiah, by the way. Sennacherib, when he came and he's speaking against Hezekiah, he says this, and this is in 2 Kings 18. By the way, this is all setting up 2 Chronicles 20. I promise we're going to get there. This is what the, the king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? Because Hezekiah is like, oh, we're going to resist. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to fight back. What are you basing this confidence on? You say you have the counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it such as pharaoh king of egypt blah blah, blah. he's like if you're thinking about going to egypt yeah they're not going to be able to help you but then listen to what he says in verse 25 furthermore i have come to attack and destroy this place oh have i come to attack and destroy this place without word from the lord the lord himself told me to march against this country to destroy it that's what he told Hezekiah. That's what he told, you know, another version of the story. It says they're speaking in, it's either Hebrew or um, Aramaic. Um, and it's basically the language of the people that the Jerusalem can understand what he's saying. And they're like, please, please don't speak in that. And he goes, oh, no, I'm going to speak in that because I want them to hear this. Oh, it's the Lord who sent us here. You're going you're gonna to depend on the Lord. You're going to have, you know, the people pray and you're going to resist us in the name of God. Oh, yeah, God told me to come here. And the fact is that is just absolutely not true. He was lying to try to get them to not fight, to get them to surrender what was happening. And so, praise God, he loves us so much when we're experiencing hardships, when we're experiencing Things that are abnormally not good. He will give us a heads up in his grace. He'll let you know which is which. If it's his discipline, he'll let you know. He let the people know through Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah chapter 38, 17 and 18. He's like, listen, this is me. Don't fight against Nebuchadnezzar. Surrender and you'll be safe. And he's going to take you to Babylon. But you won't lose your lives. You're going to rebuild your lives there. 
Like God told them what to do. He said, if you resist and fight back, I'm not going to be with you. You're going to get conquered and you're going to die. Like don't fight back. He will tell you what to do. On the contrary, if it's option B, if it's an attack from the enemy, guess what we need to do? We need to seek the Lord for the battle plan. Seek the Lord for the battle plan. And that's what 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is all about. And so I want to dive into this now. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to walk through it kind of verse by verse. Most of it anyways. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some Meuites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now I want to push pause. After what? Well, what's really interesting is Jehoshaphat experienced option one, you know, shortly before this story. Um, in Second Chronicles 19, he partners with King Ahab, who was one of the most evil kings in Israel that Israel ever had. And he partners with him um, to go to war and they lose that war. And Jehoshaphat barely escapes with his life. And I think Ahab gets wounded and, and eventually dies from that battle. But they get their butts kicked. And it was very bad. And when he gets back, 2 Chronicles 19, 1 through 3, God sent a prophet to him. And it says, uh, when Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. In other words, discipline from God is, is on you now. And that's why you experience loss in that battle. Because it was a battle you were never called to fight. It was a battle of your flesh. You wanted to defeat something. You wanted to win. You wanted to take something that wasn't yours. You partnered with people who hated God. So now the wrath of God is on you. Discipline of God, okay? There is, however, some good in you, verse 3, for you have rid the land of the Ashrapoles and have set your heart on seeking God. So in other words, he's like, I know you, Jehoshaphat, are good and you love God, but you're leading your people to do something they shouldn't be doing. And so there's good in you, but God's discipline is on you because of this over here. So Jehoshaphat knows what it's like to experience what I would call corporate warfare as a result of disobedience or the Lord's discipline. But what is his response to that? His response to that failure is repentance and reform. Second Chronicles 19, 4 through 7, it says he lived in Jerusalem. He went, this is right after the Lord rebukes him for partnering with Ahab. It says he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, consider carefully what you do because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully for the Lord, for with the Lord, our God, there's no justice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. So again, he's working really hard to bring reform, to bring repentance, and to make sure everyone's being faithful to God. So after that is when these three different armies partnered together to wage war against him. And that's chapter 20. So after he's bringing, he's been humbled by disobedience. He's learned the discipline of God. 
Now he's bringing reform and revival to the nation. Now there's a massive attack against him. So what's happening in this? In this attack, I would propose that this is option number two now. Now the enemy enemy is coming against him because he's being faithful to God. Okay? So, starting in verse 2 of chapter 20, let's pick it back up. It says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. This is how serious this was. It says they were already in En Gedi. So I think I have a, a map, and I just want you guys to fully understand this. So this is where the, the Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, different countries or tribes of people, they all live over here on the other side of the Dead Sea in the Jordan, so not in Israel, but they've banded together. They come across, uh, in Gedi is right here. I think it's only about 25 miles from Jerusalem. This is like, this is like a day, day and a half march. In other words, massive army from foreign nations has invaded, and guess what? They're here! They're here! It's, it's too late to think about, can we send messengers? Maybe we can pay them some money. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could negotiate and stop this from happening. No. It's here. They're here. So, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? That was the situation. That's why he's alarmed. He's like, oh, wow. Like in about a day, we're going to be facing this vast army. What are we going to do? And I think it's interesting how he responds. It says, he resolves to seek the Lord and inquire of him. You know, if you're ex experiencing the discipline of God, obviously you need to seek the Lord and inquire of him, right? To see what he wants you to do, how you need to repent, you know? Um, that's, just, that's just good wisdom, right? But even when it's, quote unquote, not your fault, even when it's the enemy coming against you, how do you need to respond? You need to seek the Lord and inquire of him to see how he wants you to respond. You know, so often someone comes against us or something comes against us and we respond in our flesh because we think we're so self-righteous that we know this is so wrong. And this is not because of me, you know, and this is you. And, you know, get behind me, Satan. We start throwing that verse out at people, you know. Uh, be careful with that, man. I think Jesus is the only one who can get away with that, saying that to another person. And so sometimes we respond in our flesh. And, man, I want to encourage you, even if the devil himself is attacking you, seek the Lord, inquire of the Lord what is the battle plan here? This happened to David many times. When you study David's life, many times, he got attacked for no reason. He got misjudged, right? And he would seek the Lord and say, shall I pursue them? You should pursue them. You will certainly win. And then there were times God's like, pursue them, but here's what I want you to do. Go in from behind and wait till you hear the marching in the tops of the trees. Like God gives a specific battle plan. And if you will seek him in your life, for the hard things that you're going through, God is going to give you a specific battle plan. 
And here, the times I've done this, I just want to encourage you. I don't have a percentage. You know, my brain's going nine times out of ten. I don't know if that's accurate or not. All I know is the majority of times I've sought God for a battle plan, his plan seems way easier than what I think I'm gonna ha- I should have to do. It's like, man, I'm going to have to get up at 5 a.m. and pray for three hours every day to beat this battle, you know. And I'm going to have to have a million conversations with a million people and, you know, get them banded together and let's go fight the devil. And we're going to have to worship the Lord for 24-7, you know. And then you seek the Lord and he's like, just do this. And you're like, really? (laughs) So seek the Lord. Inquire him. So he's alarmed. He resolves to seek the Lord, and it says he proclaims a fast. And it was kind of interesting before I studied in this story, I felt like the Lord told me, I think it was in the last week or the beginning of this one, he's like, proclaim a fast. It was random. And I was just like, why? (laughs) And then I studied in the story, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. So, I think our church, again, is experiencing corporate warfare, okay? Um, and I, it's honestly, I hesitated to share that tonight because I don't want to alarm anyone, you know? I don't want you to be alarmed. I'm like, hmm, maybe I will. F- you know what? I'll find another church that's not under corporate warfare until this one goes through the crap. And then once they're on the other side and they're in the good stuff, then I'll come back. I don't know. Pray about it. Maybe you're supposed to do that. I just didn't want to, you know, sometimes talking about what the enemy's doing can increase fear. But, so I don't, it's really nothing to be afraid of, it's something to be aware of. And then we seek him for the battle plan, we just do what he says, and it's going to be fine. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Anyone who attacks you will surrender to you. So that's going to be the outcome, but we still need to seek him for the battle plan. So anyways, I felt led to proclaim a fast. And I prayed in that, like, when? What? I don't even know what to do. And I'm just going to save a whole lot of explaining why. And I'm just going to tell you. Um, So I want to proclaim a fast. I want to ask you all, our church family, and maybe you're visiting. You can do this with us. Do this for us. Um, (laughs) I want to encourage you, all of us, to fast. I think it's next weekend. um, Saturday and Sunday. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to do both days. That's just what I feel like to do. Here's the deal. I know some of you are like, oh, we got this huge birthday party on Saturday. We got all the ice cream and the cake. And oh, I don't want to fast, you know. So here's the deal. If you got something on Saturday or you got something on Sunday, fast the other day. And, and I, would, I would like to ask you to fast water only. So don't fast water. Fast everything but water. <laughs> Okay, it's called a water-only fast. If you call it a total fast, then that's technically water and food. So don't eat food and drink only water for that day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Choose one. That's my encouragement. For you, for you, you know, those of you who want the gold sticker on the Sunday school chart, fast both days, all right? Do you have a question? Do it. Great question. I love this guy. That's a great question. So I would say um, fast Saturday if you do both days. And then you can break fast Sunday at sundown. That's what I would say. 
We got another question back here. Yes. Um, seek, ask your doctor's advice. That goes for all y'all. All right. All y'all. So if you, if you're not used to fasting, that's a good question. Um, if you're not used to fasting, then asking questions, it shows they're serious about doing it. So I love that, man. Like, heck yeah. So, but if you're not used to it, you're, if you're, if there's something you're going, Ooh, I don't know if I should fast because of health issues, then, then pay attention to that and ask your doctor and all that. Okay. Uh, or ask a health professional and get some advice on that. But yeah, that's all I'll say about that. So, but, um, but yeah, I would say, um, Saturday and then Sunday till sundown, you know, um, you can break fast at sundown or, or if you want to go till the next morning, that's fine. Um, I'm probably going to break fast at sundown. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but I do feel led to, 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 um, invite us into that. Um, what's interesting the reason I picked that, and I, I felt led to, but it, it is also Rosh Hashanah next weekend, it's Saturday, um, which is the Jewish New Year, which is a very significant, important day for God. Uh, and he, I believe he still values that, even though we don't have to legalistically do it. Um, I think God likes it when we honor stuff like that and, and, and remember what he set up. Uh, ten days, so it's like Feast of the Trumpets, okay? Feast of Trumpets is the only feast that Jesus has not fulfilled yet because it signifies the last trumpet, the archangel trumpet, when he's coming back, okay? And so uh, 10 days after Rosh Hashanah is the Day of Atonement, which was the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. And I thought, oh, and they were supposed to fast all day on the Day of Atonement. I thought, oh, maybe we'll fast on the Day of Atonement. And I just felt like the Lord's like, no, it's, it's next weekend. So anyways, just proclaiming a fast. And... Um, and we're just going to seek the Lord. And so I think we're in a season of seeking the Lord for a battle plan. You know, is there anything you want us to be doing or whatever? And, and I, there is something we're going to do tonight that he's leading us to do, uh, leading me to lead you to do. Um, but it's really the first step, you know. And so just seeking the Lord for, for what he wants us to do. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and I wanted to encourage you. We have prayer meetings Tuesdays through Friday at noon in this room, um, every Tuesday through Friday. And then Wednesdays, we have that, but we also have a 5 a.m. Um, prayer meeting. And I just would encourage you to, if at all possible, um, over the next few weeks, uh, just try to make a prayer meeting, if at all possible. And I know some of you have schedules, you're like, I can't do any of those times. That's okay. Um, but I would encourage you, pick a day. Um, and say, well, I can't come, but I'll fast lunch at work and go off and pray by myself. And I would ask you to do that and pray f- specifically for our church family and, and just pray whatever the Lord leads you to pray for our church family. Pray for our staff. Pray for our leaders. Um, and, and just pray for our church. Um, so I wanted to encourage you in that. So then let's continue with the story. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, So he proclaims a fast. Everybody comes together because they know how serious this is. And they're like, what are we going to do? They're trying to get their battle plan together. And he says this, and, and this is a prayer. So he's praying. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Sorry, I lost my place. 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Now this is just a side note, but he's quoting the prayer of Solomon, which I just find fascinating. Like their scriptures were our scriptures. Uh, our scriptures was his scripture. So he's, he's saying when this type of stuff happens, Solomon prayed and wrote this down and we're supposed to do this. So that's what we're doing. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. This next part's key verse. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, I tell you, even an atheist reading this chapter could tell you, I don't know much, but that right there is a key verse. You know what I'm saying? Even somebody devoid of the Spirit of God is like, I don't know. That seems important right there. I don't know if that resonates with anybody. Man, you read, you read certain chapters of the Bible, different times in your life, and different things pop out. Every single time I read this chapter, you know, the dozens, maybe hundreds of times I've read this chapter, that same verse jumps out at me. It screams at me. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. Because I'll just tell you right now as a pastor, that's my every day. That's my every day. I don't know what to do. What am I preaching on next weekend? What am I preaching on this weekend? Okay, getting laid in the wheel. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to lead a staff. I don't know what to do. We don't know what we're doing. I'm, in, I'm instilling such confidence in our church right now. These people's marriage is blowing up. What do we do? They're looking at me. They're asking me what to do. I don't know what to do. I live this every day, every week. I don't know what to do. Lord, my eyes are on you again. When you don't know what to do, eyes on Jesus. When you're not sure if the battle you're facing is from God, disciplining you, or it's the devil oppressing you. Eyes on Jesus. When you don't know if you're going to make it. Eyes on Jesus. When everyone's telling you what's wrong, it's your fault, and there's no hope. Eyes on Jesus. When everybody is telling you it's too late. Eyes on Jesus. Before you make a decision, inquire of the Lord. Seek him. 
Because his ways are not our ways, his perspective is not our perspective, and his perspective is what matters. His judgment on the situation is what matters the most. His answer is the one you want. So even if you're in a captive generation and surrender to the situation is the answer, how many of you know, then that's, that's what you need to do. If that's what the Lord is saying, you need to stop fighting for what he doesn't want you to have. As hard as that may be. But if the Lord says fight, then it's time to fight. If the Lord says fight, but I don't feel like fighting, but I'm exhausted, but I'm tired, but I'm not sure I'm going to have an army behind me fighting with me. If the Lord says fight, then it's time to fight. So what does the Lord say? Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. In other words, they're all gathered together, prophetic word from a trustworthy prophet in their midst to give direction. Man, sometimes that battle's so intense, and one of the strategies of the enemy, one of the things he does is the fog of war and the confusion, and you can't see which way is up, and you don't know what is, you don't know what's the Lord's voice and what might be the enemy masquerading to get you to do something else that's maybe not bad, it's just not God, and you're just like, what in the world is going on? And you pray, and you ask God for wisdom, and you seek his word, and you're not sure still, and finally, someone stands up that is a trustworthy man or woman of God in your life, and they say, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me for you, and here's, here's what he's saying. Praise God for prophecy. Praise God for trustworthy prophets. Here's the key though. Trustworthy prophets. This isn't someone sitting in judgment on them from the outside. This isn't someone on their way out with a spirit of criticism. And it's surely not the false prophets of the world. It's someone who's in the trenches with them. It's someone who's like, whatever happens, I'm with you. I know you. I trust you. But listen, this is what the Lord is showing me. And listen, wounds from a friend can be trusted. So even if it's a Nathan who comes into David's life and says, hey, let me tell you the story. Oh, yeah, that man. Yeah, you are that man. But here's the deal. Nathan was not going anywhere after he gave that word. Nathan was not a rogue prophet who's like, I came and God sent me here to judge this church. God sent me here to point out all the things wrong with this church. And if you don't listen to me, I've already discerned within myself that I know it's the Lord. And so if you discern as a church or as a community or leadership, and oh, I think you're wrong, then I'm out. New covenant prophetic discernment happens in community. Don't treat prophecy with contempt, but test it. 
Test it. How do you test it? You share it. And the community weighs what is said. The Bible even says when you all listen to a preacher, you should carefully weigh what is being said. Test it. Weigh it. And so if you find a prophet or prophetic person who is not willing to humble themselves and go, I don't know, you can weigh this. You see. If you find that they're not willing to consider, especially if the church or the leadership discerns that's, that's not the Lord or that's, you just kind of have a skewed view or maybe you have the right thing, but you have the wrong heart. <laughs> um, you can't trust that voice. You can't trust that voice. You need to trust the person, even if it's hard advice. Could be good advice, could be hard advice. But you need to trust the person that you know wants what's best for you. That's tricky. I mean, some of us get friends that they just want to tell us what's good all the time, too. Oh, you don't need to do that. No, no, no. You're always right, and you're never wrong, and I think you're great. A prophet in their midst who was devoted to the Lord's word, wanted what God wanted, but was with them in the trenches, stood up. He's trustworthy. He's committed. God speaks to him. And this is what he said, verse 15. It says, King Jeho- he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. This is verse 17, key verse. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You won't have to fight the battle, but listen to the advice. Stand firm. Take up your position and stand firm and you'll see the deliverance. In other words, they've prayed and asked for God's help. And this is what God says. uh, Just show up. Just show up. Remember what I said? If you seek, you think you're going to have to do so much to fix a situation or to right a wrong or to get the enemy off your back. You think you're going to have to go through years of counseling. You think you're going to have to do all these things. And God's like, just, uh, would you just show up? Just show up. Go to work. Go to church. (laughs) Serve your family. Serve in your church family. Just show up and do the normal things that God calls us to do. Just show up and take up your position. Do you know how many families would overcome terrible sin, mistakes, and brokenness if dad would just take up his position as spiritual leader. If dad would just pray with the kids once a day, in the morning or evening. If dad would just make everyone go to church. Doesn't have to have it all figured out. He doesn't have to know the Roman road. If he would just make them go to church. If dad would just be present, take up his position, he would position his whole family in the will of God and the of God would take over 
and start fighting battles in his family and in his kids and in their hearts that he has no idea is going on. If he would just show up and do his part. It's really not as hard as we think sometimes. What does the Lord require of you, oh man? But to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Like, that's it. God's like, we make it so much harder than it needs to be. Just act justly. Just do what's right. Love mercy, because guess what? We're all going to mess that up sometimes. (laughs) And then walk humbly with God. That's it. That's all that God requires of us. Take up your position in your church family. It's a story about corporate warfare and the people jumping in to do their part for a body of believers. That's what, that's what this story is about. So jump in and pray, serve, show up to church, be ready to receive, but also be ready to give, to pitch in and help, to encourage, to build up others. Do you know how many churches would overcome severe failures and setbacks if people would just continue to show up and take up their positions and work through it? It's not that hard. Just show up. Take up your position with a good attitude. (laughs) He said, don't be afraid or discouraged. Because... Fear is contagious. Discouragement is a disease. (laughs) So show up, but show with a good attitude. Don't show up spewing all the doubt. I'm here, but this is probably going, this is just going to tank, right? I'm here, but I don't know about this. Verse 18, it says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people in Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites and Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I wrote this in my, my notes. They had a corporate worship service where they are consecrating their battle. And I feel like the Lord is like, that's what you're doing today. Today. We're having a corporate worship service where we're consecrating the battle. We're praising God for his gracious words over our church family. I've kind of scared you by saying we're under corporate warfare. But when I get up above it, from God's perspective, I start getting really encouraged. Because... It's an honor to be counted worthy to suffer for the name. And whenever you see the enemy vehemently bringing a massive attack against God's people in Scripture, you see God flip the script often very suddenly. And the exact opposite of what the enemy was wanting is what happens. It's like the story of Esther. We're going to kill all the Jews in one day. Oh, it's going to be amazing. And Haman, second in command of the country. And in one day, he gets hung on his own gallows. And the day he set to genocide the Jewish people, they eradicated all the enemies of the Jews in the entire Persian kingdom. That's the redemption of God goes, oh, your enemy working to kill all my people? Hmm. Okay. 
just let you run with that for a little while. And God uses the guy that's trying to do it all. He's the guy that causes the opposite to all happen. And so I get encouraged when I think about that. It says, early in the morning they left. Same thing in this story, by the way. (laughs) Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. He puts the worship team without weapons at the front of the army. With, we're going to battle and you put the little drummer. I know you've seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's out front. How would you like to be that guy? <laughs> Getting shot at. <laughs> but that's what the Lord does. And listen to what it says in the story. It says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. The Lord set ambushes. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Remember, all the people of God did was take up their position and start worshiping him and start marching toward the battle. And God, Holy Spirit, fights for them. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and saw and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. That is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Barakah means to praise. The place of their greatest fear and their greatest battle became the place of their greatest plunder and their greatest praise of God. God doesn't let the enemy come against you just to test and train you. There is also a reward of plunder in store if you stand your ground and fight to see the victory. There's a breakthrough that will usher in the fullness of the riches of glory in Christ. There's an abundant harvest that will be yours for the taking because now there's no enemy to stop you. And that's why God lets them come. If they think they're going to annihilate you. No, you're going to annihilate all of them in one day, in one battle. And then freedom. Harvest for the taking. That's what the Lord is doing. And that's, that's what he's allowing in our lives. If he ever allows a battle in your life, it's so you can experience victory and get total victory over that thing. So you can walk in freedom. And then when the temptation comes back to you, you go, I already defeated you. Yeah, no, thanks. 
and it runs away and it scatters because it knows I got my butt kicked last time. He's over me. I'm under his feet now. I don't have a hold on him now. And so that's what, that's what the Lord is doing. It says, verse 27, Then Jehoshaphat, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for the Lord, God, for his God had given him rest on every side. The enemy never tries it again because he knows he's going to lose. And so listen, listen to this. This is really important. So the rest of that generation, the rest of that generation, that body of believers has dominion over that region because they won such a major battle and the principalities of the region were defeated. When I say we're under a corporate attack, I, I mean, I see signs of it. I don't fully even know what that means. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what, I don't see the devil. I don't know what all they're doing. I don't know who all's involved or how intense it is. I just know it's happening. I know it's unusual. But this is what I wrote in my notes, and I just feel the Lord on it really, really big. The battle we're in is not just for our church. It's for our region. If we stand firm and see the victory, we will usher in kingdom come on earth as in heaven, not just for our church, but for this region, for many other churches. (laughs) Multitudes, for multitudes to come to faith and experience the glory of the baptism and indwelling of the Spirit that will empower them to go out and win their friends, family, neighbors, co-workers to Christ and bring the kingdom all across southwestern Ohio. But it starts with us. So today, as we close... Here's what we're going to do. Eyes on Jesus. That's the battle plan. And when the Lord said, I want you to have a praise party, I had this, um, you know, I'll call it a vision. It was like a very clear mental picture, right? And I saw a cross front and center as we worshiped. And I just saw people writing some things down and laying them at the foot of the cross. And, and so we're going to make that available as we, as we worship tonight. Finish our night with worship together. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we have a couple of just totally savage, handsome guys who are going <laughs> to helping me out. Savage in a good way, you know, when you call it bad, it's good. It's what the kids are doing these days. Anyways, they're bringing this crossover, and um, once they get it set up, I'm going to get out of the way, by the way. 
we're just going to enter a time of worship and, of course, prayer as well. And maybe some prophesying as the Lord leads. And so, yeah, we're just going to worship. And you can just scatter, yeah, scatter those along the stage there. There's like notebooks with pens if you want to use these. And if you don't, it's totally fine. But um, as we worship tonight, you have your communion thing. If you want to take communion at some point, do that, obviously. If you want to do this, this is available. You, you can come up. You can make the stage an altar. You can stay at your seat. I don't really care. It's called free people for a reason. Do what you want. But this was what I saw in my mind is, I've talked a lot about our church tonight, but I know some of you, it's like, and my wife and I are the same. We have battles in our personal lives, right? We have some battles we're facing, right? That have nothing to do with our church family. And so there's some battles. You might sense some battles for our church family or or a battle over our church family or something in your own life that you're battling right now. And this is what I feel I'd invite you to do. If you want to, come up and just write that battle on a piece of paper, fold it up. You're going to lay it at the foot of Jesus, lay it at the foot of the cross, and then you're going to trust him with it. And you're going to worship. And you're going you're to sing praise to him. As if you actually believe he's going to come through in that situation. Does that make sense? It's what I have come to call praising in faith. It's like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. But I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so even though I'm in the middle of a total horrible situation, I am going to praise the Lord. Because the, the word is true. He's always good. He always comes through. He always works all things together for our good. No weapon formed against me is going to prevail. So I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to come through. And so I'm going to worship him and I'm going to praise him in faith. And then when he comes through and I win the battle and I get the plunder and I go, oh, you're so good. I, I was like, how could God allow me to go through this? And then now I know why and I wouldn't change it now. I'm so glad I went through it. And then guess what? You have another praise party and you worship him again. That time not in faith, that time in gratitude because you're experiencing the fruit of what God allowed you to go through. And so maybe you're here tonight, you just want a big battle in your life, and you're just full of gratitude, then praise Him tonight. But if you're facing a battle, if you want to write it down, leave it at the foot of the cross, praise Him. If you don't feel led to do that, you don't have to. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want to take the Lord's Supper, do that during this time. If you want to just pray, do that during this time. I would ask a few of our ministry team members, maybe one or two on each side, just be available if you want prayer over a situation. They're available for you. I really feel like the Lord's like, not so much about that tonight though, I'm gonna be honest. I feel like he's like, praise me, praise me. Lay it down and praise me and trust. Praise and faith, praise and trust, praise and hope, okay? And so begin 
just begin praying. Begin thinking about how the Lord's leading you to respond tonight. And we're just, we're going to play some songs. We're going to worship. And that's it. That's all. And that's the rest of our night. Amen.